Come on, Merry Christmas, Go Church. How you feel today? You look good. Hope you feel good. Man, the Spirit of the Lord is here today. Do you feel His presence? And we just welcome you, Jesus. Anybody love Jesus? Come on, that's me today. I love you, Father. Thankful for you if you're here today. And maybe you're skeptical in your faith or unsure about your faith. I pray that today, that through the worship and through the Word and just through the community, of fellow believers that you feel love today. Man, I want you to feel love today, the love of God. And we're just so glad that you're here. Um, for those of you in this room, you know this already, but you're at our South Metro Atlantic campus. This is our broadcast campus. And what that means is from this location, we live stream to all of those watching online, people literally around the world. And today my mom is watching online. Come on, somebody. So mom, love you. Welcome everybody online. Come on, tell them you love them. Love you guys online. And then, of course, we've got our Germantown, Maryland campus in the greater Washington, D.C. area. Uh, they're connected to us through the live stream as well, so we greet all of you, and, and we're just glad you're here. So you've got a big job today for those of you in the room. You're going to help set the tone, the, the atmosphere, create the environment for those that are either in Germantown or online. And then we also have this weekly tradition before we jump into the message where we pause to give honor to the brave men and women that serve in the military and all of those courageous first responders. So of all of the applause for a group of people, this particular group that serves and sacrifice, they deserve the highest encouragement. So come on, church family. Can we do that now? Can we bless the men and women? Come on. Come on, I need you to take your volume up just a little bit. There we go. Yeah. Let me tell you about a couple things really fast because... Uh, we're running out of time in the year here, and I want to make sure you're saving the date and marking your calendars. We've got Christmas Eve at Go Church happening, uh, 4 p.m. in Germantown, 4 and 6 p.m. here. Every ticket's been gone. It's gone. So that's great news, right? And this is where the team gets a little frustrated at me, but if you don't have a ticket, you can still come. Come on, somebody. We'll, we'll pull out chairs. To God be the glory. We don't want anybody to be left behind. We've got overflow already in the works if needed. And you know how this works. Some people take a ticket and then something comes up. So if you don't have a ticket, that's not a problem. We still will facilitate you and your family in some way, shape, or form. Just give us a little grace figuring that out. It's going to be a great night, 4 p.m., 6 p.m. here. I believe that the room will be full, not just of people, but of the presence of God. And it's such a great way on those Christmas Eve gatherings to kick off the celebration of Christmas with your family. So I hope you're encouraged. It's going to be a wonderful night. You won't be disappointed, and I'll see you then. And then also, we're only a couple of weeks away from what we call Deeper 21. Twice a year, uh, we carve out 21 days to participate and practice the spiritual disciplines of prayer and fasting, which many of you know this, but they say it takes 21 days to start a habit or to break a habit, and that's really the heart behind Deeper 21. We hope that you start the disciplines of prayer and fasting and you stop doing some things you need to stop doing. Can I get an amen? Come on. So we're going to go 21 days together. It'll kick off on the 1st, which just so happens to be uh, on a Saturday at 8.30. So all of the Saturdays during 21 days will be at 8.30 a.m. in person. And then every morning, Monday through Friday at 6 a.m., we'll come together for one hour of corporate prayer, devotion, worship. It's really a powerful time, and I pray that you're able to, to participate and, and uh, be engaged and involved that way. And then we're going to get into the message. I'm going to pray for you. Let me just say one quick thing, because I know many of you, you got all kinds of plans for the holidays. I've only got a couple more messages to preach in this year, and then we're going to close out this year. We're going to start a new year. And I just want to tell you from the bottom of my heart what an honor it is to be your pastor. Thank you for allowing God to speak to you through us here at Go Church in this year. 
This has been a good year for many people. It's been a challenging year for many people. But I pray at some point in your experience and gathering together that God has revealed his love for you, his glory, uh, his grace, his mercy. And it's just, it really is a privilege. Now the year's not done and I got fire shut up in my bones. Come on somebody. So I still got some sermons to preach, but I just want to tell you that I'm thankful for you. And really, I don't want this to be cheesy and I'm not trying to overhype emotionalism, but you all are the greatest gift to me in Kimberly. And I wish you a very Merry Christmas. So let's jump in today on the colors of Christmas. I'm gonna pray for you, you pray for me. Father, we thank you for your goodness, for your love. Thank you for those that are in this room, those listening online. I'm inviting you, Holy Spirit, to do a work that only you can do. So I'm putting myself before you, Jesus. And I'm asking you to use someone like me in this moment. God, I've prepared, and I've prayed, and I've fasted, and now, God, I just wanna be an instrument, a mouthpiece for you. I wanna be anointed, but I pray that your people would be anointed. This is a busy time of the year, and so distractions are very real. But for the next few moments, can we just lean in to what the Holy Spirit would say to us? And we're asking you, Lord, to speak to us today. And we give you thanks for the transformational power, the work of the Holy Spirit that's being done even now. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And together, everybody said amen and amen. We've clapped a lot, but can we just honor the Lord? Come on, put your hands together for Jesus today. Come on. came across a funny little story this past week. I thought I'd share it with you. So it's about this uh, church Christmas production for kids, and they're going to tell the Christmas story. And so they're holding auditions for all of these kids to come and to cast for particular parts. And so one little boy in particular, he had his heart committed to the role of Joseph. And he rehearsed his lines. He practiced his lines. He auditioned on the day of the audition, and he left incredibly confident that they would cast him in the role of Joseph. Well, on the day that the list of names and parts in the play were produced, he found his name, and out beside his name, he saw that he actually got the role of the innkeeper, and he was furious. This little boy was beside himself. He couldn't imagine that they would cast somebody else as Joseph. So then he was curious, well, who did they put in that role? So he looked down the list, and much to his surprise, he found out that it was his rival, who got the role of Joseph. So for the next few weeks, as they prepared and practiced this particular kid's production, this boy who wanted to be Joseph, they got the role of the innkeeper, he was plotting his revenge. And he knew that there would come the right moment that he could get his revenge on his rival who stole the role that he believed God created him to play. So on the night of the big production, it's the opening night, and the room is packed, and people are there, the lights, the camera, the action, and they come to the moment in the Christmas story where Joseph and Mary come to the inn. And Joseph and Mary, they come to the inn, and they, they knock on the door, and this innkeeper, this little boy, opens the door, and he says, what do you guys want? Well, there was a gasp from the crowd. And Joseph, who's gotten the role, he's trying to figure out, playing a little improv, he says, well, well, Mary and I, we'd like to have a room. And the innkeeper, right, in his revenge says, well, I've got plenty of room. He says, come on and pick out the best room. I'll give you the presidential suite. Now, if you know the Bible story, you know the Christmas story, that ain't how this story played out. There was actually no room in the inn. So the whole room is waiting for a response, and the boy that got cast as Joseph, without hesitation, he peeked his head into what was an imaginary inn. He looked left, 
He looked right and he said, no wife of mine will ever stay in a dump like this. Mary, let's go to the barn. Come on, somebody. That's funny. I don't care who you are. <laughs> okay, Isaiah 9, 6. This is kind of the theme verse for the whole series. For unto us a child is born. For unto us a son is given. Anybody thankful for Jesus? Come on. And the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called. Come on, from the front of the room to the back of the room. Germantown, online alike. Ready? Let's say it together. One, two, three. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and prince of peace. So we're talking about the colors of Christmas, which is actually a very unique series to do. And last Sunday, I shared with you on the thought of a blue Christmas. And for those of you that were able to be here in person, you were blessed by my Elvis impersonation. Come on now. Thank you. Thank you very much. Today, I promise not to sing. Come on. You ought to say amen there. I do want you to take something to write notes with. If you've got a journal or your smartphone or there's a sermon or message note card in the seat near you, I'm going to give you a few thoughts to consider. Today, we're going to look at this particular color, and it is the color green. On the count of three, everybody shout green. One, two, three. Green. Now, there is a lot about Christmas that I love. One of them, and I mean this wholeheartedly, is being married to Kimberly. She makes Christmas the most fun in the Worley house. We have all kinds of traditions. Uh, some traditions that I brought into the family from my, my side of the family. Some traditions she brought into the family from her side of the family, like spending money. And then some traditions, did I literally, I said that out loud? I'm so sad. That must have been God that wanted you to hear that. Um, I feel anointed. And then some traditions that we've created together. And so every year, I mean, there are just, how many of you got some kind of tradition? You know, like, even if you don't have a tradition, that is your tradition. It's like, we don't do anything, you know. But we do all kinds of things. We always, at some point, will go to Mary Max Tea Room in downtown Atlanta, me and Kimberly, and we will literally get our eat on. Can I get an amen from somebody? So we did that this past Friday. Uh, with the kids, whenever we want them to be involved in the traditions, we'll load them into the minivan. Come on, minivan families. Let's be one of them. We'll load them into the minivan. We'll get some hot chocolate, and we'll tour Christmas lights. We'll go into neighborhoods that we can't afford and pretend like we live there. Come on now. Um, for those of you that live on the south side of Atlanta, you know all about Gaddy's Christmas light experience. So for years, I told my kids that was Disney. Come on now. You just It's like, hey, this is Disney World. You know, this is it. I'm kidding. I didn't lie. I did tell them that. I, I need to repent. I did. You know, Disney's expensive, you know. There's all kinds of things that I like. But there is one thing in particular that when it's Christmas, and I'm emotional now just thinking about this, that I get incredibly overwhelmed. It is, in my opinion, the reason for the season, and it is Little Debbie Christmas tree cakes. Shh, my Lord, speak for your servant here. Has anybody ever tried one of these? Come on. These little 400 packed calories of a Christmas tree. Uh, let me, we're going to get the need the cleaning crew on that one. Sorry about that. Let me give you a little secret about this. If you take one of these and you dip it in a cup of coffee, shh, my Lord, thank you, Jesus. Mm. Show of hands, you like the Christmas tree cake? Come on. I'd like to speak a little word over little Debbie. Deborah, thus saith the Lord, may you be blessed. And highly favored. Come on, just like Deborah, the prophetess in the Bible. May you be bountiful with favor. May your manufacturing companies produce Christmas trees at an all-time high. May your friendship with jolly old Saint Nick grow so that we can... Come on, somebody just speak this over her. Come on. 
I rebuke diabetes in the name. <laughs> I felt that one. Woo. I love some Christmas tree cakes. And the thing is, it's stuck in my tooth right now. The thing about Christmas, Christmas tree cakes, decorating, holidays, and all of that, it's cool because in the middle of winter, you know, which it's not so much winter in Georgia right now. You know the old poem, "'Twas the night before Christmas and all through the house. The air condition was running because you live in the South." Come on, you know that one, right? <laughs> Even though it's a little warm, everything's still dead. So all of the, the trees in my backyard, they're just brown sticks. This is, a, this is an updated photo of, of my yard. Literally, I took this yesterday. This is my grass. She's dead. Now, this is, this is uh, painful for me because I spend a lot of time on my, on my, on my grass in my yard. Um, I'm, you're laughing because Kimberly, for some reason, God has given her the ability to run over my grass. And come on, husbands, you know what I'm talking about? A couple weeks ago, it was raining, and she just backed right over, and her tire mark was in my yard, and you know, it took the Holy Spirit, the fruit of, of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, patience, and self-control, not to just move out, come on, or kick them out, but, but the grass, is, it's dead. Now, I've got a process in place that eventually it will turn back to green, and there will be life. And in the middle of winter, when the skies are gloomy, the grass is dead, the trees are nothing but sticks, God inserts green. And he does that. And so you'll see that in all of the decorations from the wreaths that you make, okay, or you buy. And you hang on your tree, from, or you hang on your, your door from the tree in your living room. Now, this is not our living room. This was actually in a neighbor's living room that we snuck into while we were looking at lights and I just snapped a quick photo. It's Google, okay? It's Google. So you get green everywhere from the decorations to the trees to the wreaths. And then you also see green at Christmas because of all the money that you're spending. Come on, somebody. You got green. How many of you got green just flying, baby? Green is just moving at a rapid pace. Do you even know why the government made money green? I'm not trying to impress you with history. I mean, I didn't know until recently, but in the 1860s, during the Civil War, the government decided to print money as a way to fund the war. Now, in that particular time of history, cameras could only work in black and white, so the government was able to print money in green as an anti-counterfeit method. And so they made money green. And now you get the whole thing green with envy. There is some psychology, though, around the color green. I want to look at this because... Uh, Psychologists will tell us that of all of the colors on the color wheel, there is something about the color green. That when you see this particular color, it creates this restful uh, relaxation of emotion. It's the most like peaceful color for the human eye to engage in. Let, let's try this. You ready? So you've got this green and now you've got... That did nothing for me. I'm just going to be honest with you. Now, this is sage green. Now, we could go through the whole list of green. I mean, I don't know how you would feel if I showed you olive green or lime green or seaweed green or chartreuse. Come on, somebody knowing his colors. That's me. Crocodile green. Come on, somebody. Go green. Hello. Come on. There we go. But there is some psychology to the color green that when you encounter this, and I'm going to prove it to you at the end of the message, that when you encounter the color green, it does something to your emotions. But not only is there the psychology of the color green, there is also the theology of the color green. And whenever you go throughout scripture, whenever you jump into the Bible, you will see that this particular color 
is always associated with growth. Green is always connected to new beginnings, to life, to health, to harmony. It's connected to hope, and it is connected to peace. That's what the color green in the Bible symbolizes. And I'm confident that there are multiple places from the Old Testament to the New Testament, from Genesis to Revelation, where the actual word green is printed or written in your scripture. I want to show you three, just three places today. And it's the third place that I want to spend the majority of our conversation around, just kind of unpacking a little bit. So if you got your Bible, let's go to the very first place I'll show you. It's in the book of Jeremiah. Now, Jeremiah is a prophet, and it's interesting what the prophet Jeremiah says, uh, even you know, thousands and thousands of years later to us on December the 19th of, of 2021. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord. It's a good place to say amen. So if you put your trust in the second part of this particular thought, your confidence in him, you will be blessed. So again, here's a little bit of a formula here. If you want the blessings of God, two parts of this formula is putting your trust and your confidence in God and God alone. And then in the very next verse, he says, they will be, who is they? Those who are blessed by putting their trust and confidence, they will be like a, somebody say tree, tree that's planted by the water, that sends out its roots by the stream. It doesn't fear when the heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. Now, I could preach on this uh, particular verse or these two verses alone, but I just want to highlight real quick because it's the third place that I really want to spend time on. That Jeremiah is really defining for us what faithfulness in God looks like. That if you are faithful to God, that your trust is in him, that your confidence is in him, that your hope is in him, right? That all of a sudden, as a believer, you begin to develop spiritual roots. And these roots sink deep down below the surface. And they connect themselves to the river, which is the source of life. So even when the heat is overwhelming or the drought is overwhelming or the circumstances shift or the seasons change, which is important to our whole context of conversation today, that you never have to fear, that you never have to worry because you are connected to God, right? The faithfulness of God. You're connected to God. Now all of a sudden you will, you'll bear fruit regardless of the season that you're in. That, that's a good word. Come on. Let me show you another place here. Hosea chapter 14, verse number 8. He says, O Israel, stay away from your idols. Now we're living in a culture today that we don't necessarily have fabricated idols like they did back in you know, this particular era. Although I guess some religions do where they create you know, images or statues and they worship them. But now you and I have technology as an idol. We have our work that could become an idol uh, we have extracurricular activities that could become an idol. And this message isn't on idols, but he's like, hey, an idol is anything that takes precedent or priority over God. Any, the Bible says in Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So anything else that you're seeking above God, greater than God, that becomes an idol. And God says here, he says, stay away from idols because I am the one, says the Lord. I am the one who answers your prayers and cares for you. That's power. He says, I'm the OG, the only God. Come on. 
all of the other gods are lowercase g's. He says, I am the only God, and I'm the one who will answer every prayer, and I am the one that will care for you. And then he says this, watch. I am like a, come on, shout it on three, one, two, three, green fir tree. You know what a green fir tree is? It's a Christmas tree. It's crazy. He says, I am like a green fir tree, and all of your fruit comes from me. So let me say this to you. Some of you have had a very, uh, very blessed year, a year of great favor, and you've done well in school, in work, in business, in life. Don't ever think too highly of yourself. Everything you accomplish, every success you have, every achievement you attain is because of the favor of God. All of that fruit of your life, the Bible says that every good and perfect gift comes from your Father above. Does that make sense? So yeah, you put your hands to the plow, but it is the creator of your life that gave you them their hands. Come on, somebody. He says, all of your fruit comes from me. Aren't those, those are Jeremiah 17, Hosea 14, but here's the one. And as I was praying for you, the Lord just, man, grabbed my heart. And I told Kimberly, I know that this isn't necessarily like a, a Christmas scripture, but I got to give you what the Lord told me to give you. And it's Psalm 23. Three verses here. That when I read it, man, God just, whew, the Lord is my shepherd. And I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. We're going to talk about that. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. And that's my prayer for you. In the busyness of this Christmas season, in the busyness of this holiday, in the busyness of life, I just want the good shepherd to refresh your soul. We say this a lot, almost can become cliche if we're not careful, but Jesus really is the reason for the season. And in the middle of all of it, I just want the Holy Spirit, the Good Shepherd, to refresh your soul. And, and the imagery here is amazing to me. He talks about how the Lord is my shepherd, and immediately my mind goes to a field with, you know, what I would consider the, the clothing or the attire of a shepherd. He says, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. Just, I want you to get the mental image of that. And then in, my, in, in the canvas of my mind, I'm seeing a shepherd and I'm seeing sheep. And what's so unique, and most of you know this, is that all throughout Scripture, you and I are likened to the personality and the behavior of sheep, which is a little sarcastic because sheep are dumb. Like, sheep are not smart animals, and yet all throughout the Bible, you and I are considered to be, well, idiots. I mean, that's just, that's that. Look at somebody near you and say, now he's preaching about you. This is good. I'm glad I brought you today. Go ahead and tell him, I'm glad I brought you today. You get the imagery here of the shepherd and the sheep in this field. But if you know anything about sheep, here's something that is almost uh, a tension in this particular verse. I say this with great respect, but there's a tension here. You can't force a sheep to lay down. You can't make them lie down. Four conditions have to be uh, created in order for a sheep to feel comfortable 
to lay down. I want you to write this down, okay? Because you're going to see how this is parallel to my life and to your life right here. In order for sheep to lie down, four conditions have to be met. Here's the first one. Every sheep, if they want to lay down, they have to be free from fear. They are very anxious animals. Uh, They're very skittish animals. You know, they can be out grazing in a field, and if one sheep gets spooked by anything, that sheep will begin to run away. And what do all the other sheep do? They run with them. They don't even know. Why, I could, can't you see them? They're like, why are we running? I don't know. But everybody else is running. And we do that too. They're fearful. I, now, I know the difference of sheep and goats a little bit. A lot of it is dietary because I had to Google what the difference is. So I know that there's a difference. But have you ever seen the video of the fainting goats? Show me your hands if you've ever seen If you need a good laugh today, just take a few minutes. Actually, six minutes and 38 seconds. And watch the video of fainting goats. So these particular goats have a hereditary condition that whenever they get frightened, whenever they become afraid, they pass out. It doesn't matter what they're doing. Uh, they can be climbing, they can be eating, they can be running. And when, when they, it is, the, it is so much fun. It's unbelievably fun to watch. When they get scared, they just, and then they fall over. And you should, it's six minutes of just unbelievable humor Watching these goats with their, it's actually kind of sad now that I think about it, but it's unbelievable. And then when one of them paralyzes and freezes and, and, and faints, all of the other ones follow. It's like this domino effect of one goat getting scared and passing out and then all the other goats getting scared and passing out. And the sheep do it too. One gets scared and they all run. Let me just tell you this. A lot of you, you can't experience green pastures because you're overwhelmed with anxiety. God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And I don't know what the fear is that's gripping you or the anxiety is that's gripping you or the increased panic, but it seems like the holiday season is kind of fuel for all of that. But I want you today to experience the good shepherd. And sheep will only lie down if all fear is removed. Here's the other condition that must be present. There can't be conflict. There can't be anger. They can be aggressive animals, but if they know that somebody in in their herd is kind of coming for them or there's tension there, they're always, and they, they don't have great defense mechanisms, but they're always aware. They're always tense, and they don't want to lie down because they're worried about the conflict. And the parallel is this. Again, many of you through the holiday season, you can't experience green pasture because you got conflict going on. You got some anger. And I don't know if it's with somebody or against somebody. Maybe it's family, maybe it's friends, maybe it's your job, maybe it's with God. But you'll never be able to find true rest to experience a good shepherd allowing you to lie down in green pastures when there's conflict there. Let me give you two more. Free from fear, free from conflict. And this one's obvious. They're not going to lay down till they're free from flies. Years ago, when Kimberly and I were first married, we were interviewing at different churches for the opportunity to be the youth pastor. And the resume that I had, I mean, it's, it's still not that impressive, but man, you talk about just trying to add like stuff so somebody would give me a chance and 
there was a, a little church in South Georgia that invited us to come down and interview. So we got in our car, just newly married, and we drive down to South Georgia, and we interview with the, they were so precious, weren't they? The most precious couple. And I'm talking like south of Valdosta, Georgia, and we experience the, the sanctuary, and you know, then they're like, hey, let's take you to lunch. And I'm like, man, that's great. And they're like, let's go to the catfish holler, and you know that's good eating. Come on, somebody. And I'm just in my mind, I'm young, and I'm processing like, God, I don't know if you're calling us to this, but I believe that you could use us here. And, you know, it would certainly be a, a little bit of a, a different life experience in South. And I'm sitting at the table, and they're eating their catfish. And I look over at Kimberly, and she's like, how many of you know what I'm talking about? It's the gnats in South Georgia. And I knew right then, well, we ain't moving here. <laughs> You know how to tell the difference of somebody from the north and the south? So people in, from the north, when they come to the south, they always swat at the gnats. They always swat at the flies. If you're from the south, you just spit at them. That's the difference. And I looked at her, and she was swatting and spitting. And I thought for a moment, either she's got the Holy Ghost, or she's giving me a sign, we better get up out of Catfish Holler real quick. So, But flies are what? They're aggravating. They're bothersome. They're annoying. What is it in your life right now that is hindering you from the green pasture experience because it's a nuisance to you? What flies are in your life? And it may be a person, I don't know. And by the way, you may be a fly to somebody. Well, it got quiet real quick. But again, you'll never find the rest in the good shepherd in the green pasture if there's fear and conflict and flies. And then this last one, every single one of us, you have experienced this. You can never rest when you're hangry. You can never rest on an empty appetite. And I'm wondering, if you look at this spiritually, what is it that you're really hungering for? And I'm telling you, that void in your life that's keeping you from resting with the good shepherd, and I don't mean this in a critical way, I love gifts. I hope you got me some. But there is not a present that will fill that hunger the way that the Holy Spirit wants to fill that hunger. The Bible says in Matthew, blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. One theologian, when they looked at Psalm 23, verse number 2, they said that potentially a more accurate translation of that verse and I'm going to show you this because I don't think it takes the verse out of context. And I always, always try to preach the integrity of the scripture. But he translated that verse this way and said it's actually because the conditions have to be perfect for the sheep to, to lie down. So he said a, a better translation or a more accurate translation would be this, that he settles me down in green pastures. I don't know why, but that's beautiful to me. And some of you listening, whether you're online in Germantown, you're in this room, and in this season, you are incredibly unsettled. You've got a lot of fear, a lot of anxiety, a lot of anger, a lot of aggravation, a lot of things are annoying you. You've got an appetite that you can't seem to fill. You feel unsettled. This is my genuine prayer in this Christmas. Get all the gifts you want, but may you get the gift the gift of the good shepherd. 
that regardless of the circumstance, regardless of the season, you get to experience green pastures. And the Holy Spirit gave me this thought. I want you to write it down. The good shepherd, watch, has it all under control. Even when it all seems chaotic, don't ever discount the sovereignty of the good shepherd. He teaches us that he uses this earth as his footstool. He treats earth like a lazy boy recliner. God is not impatient. God is not worried or fretting or pacing back and forth. God is all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's a good shepherd. And watch this. Everything is under the control of God. And whenever we try to insert ourselves to figure things out, that's when the fear increases. That's when the anxiety increases. That's when the irritation and the aggravation increases. What God wants you to do is to say to the good shepherd, I'm just going to lay down. And I'm going to trust you at your word because you are faithful. That's a good place to pause and give Jesus some praise. Come on. Coming up, we're going to clap. Let's clap. Come on. And here's the word. I hope you're taking notes. Here's the word. Watch this. Whenever I think of this, so whether you agreed with this or you're living in this, that regardless of it all, everything I see in the natural, I know that God, the good shepherd, is in control. That word is contentment. It's contentment. And God has been dealing with my heart a lot about my spiritual maturity And really challenging me with, am I content? Now, let me, you see the definition. This is my definition, by the way, so it might have some inaccuracies to it. But I do want to tell you this, that contentment is not complacency. There is a difference between complacency and contentment. Contentment is not complacency. Contentment is comfortability. Contentment is being comfortable with who I am. Contentment is being comfortable with where I am, regardless of the season. And contentment is being comfortable with, with what I have. So instead of complaining about all the things I don't have, I'm just going to be content with what I do have. I may not have all that I want, but I've got all that I need. I need 100 people to give me a good amen right there. The Bible says, I have never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. God, the good shepherd, will provide every single thing that I need. So instead of complaining about all the things I want and all the things I don't got and all the things I wish I had, I am content. I am comfortable with who I am and where I am and what I've got. That, ladies and gentlemen, is spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity. And I'm going to say this to you, and I hope that you receive this with, with all of the genuineness and rebuke that a good pastor can give you. In 2022, we're going to grow up. Eleven of you said amen. So the other hundreds of you, it's time to grow up in the Lord. Through it all, through the last 22 months, you've made it. It's not been easy. It's not been, it's not been all roses and rainbows, but... But you're alive on purpose and for purpose. And now, as we move into a brand new year, let us have contentment in our heart to thank God for his favor and his blessings. This is spiritual maturity here. He makes us, settles us down in green pastures. My heart was stirred with this idea of contentment, and I really believe that God took me to the Apostle Paul. So Paul, when he was in Philippi, which is now modern-day Greece, he wrote a letter to the Philippians, to the church, four parts, 
four chapters. Now, what's so unique about this letter is that he's writing it while he's imprisoned. He's locked up in chains and he's waiting trial, knowing that the outcome of that trial is going to be execution. And in these words, now, you want to see how well you're doing with your spiritual maturity? Think how you would respond if you were locked up and they said, you get to make one call. You got one letter. You know what Paul does? 16 times in these four chapters, he talks about the fruit of the Spirit, joy. Joy. If that doesn't slap you in the face. And then he says this in uh, verse number 11. He says, I'm not saying all of this. I'm not writing all of this because I am in need. He says, for I have learned to be what? Come on, say it again. I've learned to be whatever the circumstance. And then watch what he does. He starts to build out this resume and he talks about the different seasons of life. And you've experienced different seasons of life just like I have. He says, I, I, know, I know what it is to be in need. And I know what it's like to have a lot. I know what it's like to grow up and watch my single mama struggle just to put food on the table. And I know what it's like now to throw out leftovers. Come on, somebody. Seasons of life. And he says, I have learned the secret of being, one more time, come on, content in in every situation, whether I am well-fed or whether I am hungry, whether I'm living in plenty or if I am in want. And then he gives us verse number 13. And all of us, at some point in our lives, we have abused this verse. We've taken it out of context. He says, and I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This doesn't work when you go up to the counter at the gas station to buy a lottery ticket and say, okay, I'm going to win a million dollars because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This also doesn't work when you're playing golf because I've said this and I still lost the golf ball. Now what Paul says here is about the seasons of life that whether it's a season of celebration or a season of mourning, that whenever you're in a season of abundance or you're in a season of drought, that whenever it's a season of life or even in a season of death, I can do all things. I can overcome all things because it is Christ, the good shepherd, that gives me strength. I feel like preaching this for a moment. Come on now. That no matter what I'm faced with, no matter what my, what my circumstances are or my situation is, listen to me, I can go through all of it. Because again, Christ is the good shepherd and it's he who gives me strength. Ecclesiastes 3 verse 1 says it like this. Let's read it together. One, two, three. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity. The heavens. I look back on this year and we've been through some seasons. Somebody want to testify to that? The highest of highs and the lowest of lows. But one thing has been constant. The good shepherd. And even in the seasons where I didn't know if I was going to make it, I felt the comforting, calming, soothing anointing of the Holy Spirit. And he gave me strength. Come on, somebody testify to that. Let me show you 
the dichotomy of seasons. Because there is that tension. In one moment, in one phone call, everything can change. It's the tension of the seasons. If you go to Israel, this is my closing story, by the way. You go to Israel, you'll see the Negev Desert. I've not ever been to Israel. It's on my bucket list. Jay Kimsey, who's here in this gathering, he sits on our board of trustees. He went a couple weeks ago and didn't take me. And I just thought I'd put you on blast for that. I just thought that was appropriate um, to say that, that you went and, and didn't even bring me a shirt. But this is the Negev Desert. Literally, Negev. And it's all, it's all in Scripture, by the way, the Negev Desert. It lit, its name literally means dry land. That's what it means, dry land. Now, let me go back to the picture because I want you to see it. When you see this, you see brown, you see death, you see drought. And the highest of temperatures in the summer, the Negev gets to over 104 degrees. And there's not many living things here. And this is factual, by the way. I'm not making this up. In any calendar year, it will rain less than eight inches total in the Negev. I think we got eight inches of rain in Georgia last week. That's what it felt like. And in that season, what they would consider rainy season, less than eight inches, something magnificent happens. And I'm going to prove to you the psychology of the color green. Because all of a sudden, this dry, dead, barren desert, a little bit of rain and life is produced. Watch this. Same place, different season. Same place, different season. Let me show you these two pictures side by side, and they'll make this large on the screen. The one on the left, the brown, dry Negev. That photo was taken in November of 2020. On the right, February of 2021. Same place, different season. When I saw this in preparation for today, God just began to grip my heart with this thought. Contentment, when we talk about contentment, contentment is never going to be found in the season because seasons shift, seasons change. You can be in the... What did he say in the 23rd Psalm? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. You can be walking through different seasons, and if you try to find contentment in the season, you'll be spiritually bipolar because life comes at you fast. Life comes at you hard. In this world, Jesus said, you will have trouble, but you can take heart because I, the good shepherd, have overcome the world. So contentment is never found in the season. True contentment will only be found in the shepherd. In the shepherd. Now listen to me, lean in for a moment. I'm going to go back because I want you to see this. A really good shepherd will walk you through the brown seasons with great grace, just like he walks you through the green seasons. Study about the Negev when it's not rainy season and herds of sheep still can thrive.
because a good shepherd, there's that old song, he walks with me and talks with me. Jesus is with you on the bad days and he's with you on the good days. Why? Because contentment is not in the season. It's in the shepherd. Now, I'm out of time. Let me give this to you really fast. Write it down. I won't preach them. I want you to write them down, and then you pray through them. But the good shepherd, here's what a good shepherd does. A good shepherd calms me when life is crazy. We talked about those flies, those aggravating things a moment ago. Verse number 5 of Psalm 23 says that he anointeth my head with oil. Can I tell you that a good shepherd knows the aggravation that a sheep has with the parasites and the flies and the gnats so he'll take oil and he'll rub it all over the face and the mask of the sheep and that oil will act as one it will act as a uh, a solvent to soothe the skin of the sheep and secondly it will serve as a repellent to the gnats and the flies when you read the bible you know what is symbolized by oil the holy spirit he will anoint, he will settle you. I don't know what you're walking through. I don't know what you're dealing with. But may you experience the Holy Spirit to calm you in this crazy season of life. Is everybody good today? Come on, I feel this word. Come on. The Holy Spirit, the good shepherd will comfort you when life gets painful. And this isn't some doom and gloom sermon. This is hope. For God so loved the world, he gave us Jesus. But there will be painful seasons. Just being close to the good shepherd doesn't get us out of danger. But what it does mean is we never have to walk through danger alone. He comforts us. And then finally, he gives me contentment whenever life feels uncertain. So here's the closing question. I'm going to have them sing and then we'll pray. What are the areas of my life that I'm not content? What are the areas that I'm griping about and complaining about? And then what step toward the good shepherd do I need to take? When we lived in Maryland, we started Go Church in Maryland. A couple times a year, we would come here to home. This is Kimberly's hometown. We would come home here to celebrate the holidays. Because that was such a long trip from the northeast to the south, we, we would always fly. And our kids were little, so for a while there, you could even fly for free. And you know what I say, if it's free... It's for me. And so I think that this was right when London was an infant, or maybe she, she wasn't even born, but we were loading up a, an airplane flight to go from Reagan National to Hartsfield-Jackson here in Atlanta. And the moment that we started packing up, you know, our luggage, which I'm going to owe Lakeland $5 today, right, because I have to pay for the royalty of the content that I use. Lakeland started, he must have been three or four years old. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? And the first four or five times it was cute and then it just got on my nerves. Come on dads, let's be honest. We get in the car, are we there yet? I'm like, buddy, we, we haven't even gotten to the airport. We get to the air, are we there yet? I'm like, but see what happened was you gotta get on the plane, go through security, get on the plane. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? We get on the plane, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? And I got to a point where I almost yelled, can you stop? Can you stop? And immediately the Holy Spirit spoke these words. His anticipation for what's to come outweighs his appreciation for how far he's been. And can I tell you that some of you, you're in that season, that you're so excited about what's coming, 
you've just forgotten how far God has brought you. I may not be where I want to be, but I don't ever want to forget how far God has brought me. He's with me today, tomorrow, and forever in the good times, in the tough times. He is a good shepherd. And all you got to do, watch, take one step. Heads bowed, eyes closed.